Now we're looking into a world where this is going to become a very real reality, but I have one concern and this is like maybe something that's a little sci-fi-y. So, so bear with me here. Jacqueline, have you ever seen the show? Welcome back to the Digital Dive Podcast, a conversation about tech. My name is Darsh and I'm one of your hosts. And my name is Jacqueline. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about a new product that has me genuinely so excited, the new Pixel tablet, and who I think it's for because it's this weird two-in-one niche that I think a lot of people are missing the point of, but I'm enthused about it. Then we're going to be talking about the two potential features of self-driving tech. I feel like Self-driving tech is one of those things that we constantly see in movies. It's like an in the future, but it will happen. It's going to be no one in the vehicle. Everyone's going to be just using it commercially. Everyone's going to be using it on every street. And Clue Abrams just did a video interviewing one of the people that's the CEO of one of the most prominent self-driving companies. And she basically illustrates that there's another scenario that could happen that is maybe already happening right now that we're not aware of, but that would impact the world even more. So we're going to break down the two scenarios. And if you guys want to check out her full video, we'll leave it in the show notes because I think it's actually absolutely fascinating and something that I think is really going on in tech in a big way. But if you're just focused on the consumer tech end, you would miss it. Well, that being said, let's roll the intro. All right, Darsh, I'm feeling really good about this episode. I feel like this one, we're back in the throes of tech. There's a lot of content going around. And I also think we're just doing a better job of researching these episodes now. So there's more ideas. Absolutely. And talking about ideas, I have a lot of ideas for the Pixel tablet, but I'm going to leave that until the end of the topic. So I just want to kind of hear first, because you've actually had some hands-on time with it now. What's your take on the Google Pixel tablet and its utility? I think that's the biggest question I have because like, I'm a big iPad user. I use an iPad every single day for work and I've been using it for like video, I guess not video, but like photo editing for a very long time. And so I see a lot of utility out of my iPad, but the Google Pixel tablet comes in this really weird mid-range market. And it also has a lot of really strange utility as a whole. But as someone who's actually used it and gotten a chance to play with it, what are your thoughts? I love it actually. So I'm just going to give a quick um, summary to those that haven't seen it yet of what the unique utility is. And then we'll talk about why some people aren't vibing with it. So the Pixel tablet is basically coming out in a time when smart home stuff has been taking off with like the Nest Hub. The Nest Hub is this device that you can like put in your kitchen or living room that has a display and a speaker and it has Google Assistant. So it kind of can become the central hub of your smart home. Um, and that's by Google. We've seen similar form factors from companies like Amazon as well. And then at the same time, Google hasn't done a tablet in a couple of years, but the Nest Hub is almost like a tablet that is just like in one place. So I think that Google saw the opportunity to instead come out with the Pixel tablet, which is $499, which is basically the seven inch display from the Nest Hub that is removable. So you can use it as a tablet, but then you can also dock it on the stand that's a speaker and kind of have it become the center of your home device. So I actually think that that is brilliant utility. I think it's so smart. The $4.99 price tag is interesting. I'll, I'm going to open up that loop and we'll get back to it later on like which other tablets this is competing with. But I think just from a utility standpoint, this is like pretty brilliant. So actually, Jacqueline, uh, just just to clarify with our viewers. So it's seven inch actually in height, but in uh, terms of actual screen, uh, screen inches across, it's 10.95 inches. It's almost 11 inches wide. So in terms of like the actual screen, screen real estate that you get, you get quite a bit to play with. And I think that the pricing is probably at least my biggest concern with the product as a whole, because I'm looking at the Canadian site right now and it's $700. And that's... Uh, yeah, but I that's mean, Canadian pricing and in the US it's four ninety nine. So I think like if we were to do Canada pricing for the podcast, then we would also have to convert like the iPad's price into Canadian pricing. Oh no, no, I know. I just mean for myself personally, as someone who has a Google Nest Hub and like was looking at this as a replacement. How much would the Nest Hub be in Canada? About two hundred bucks. 
The Nest Hub is 200 in Canada? Yeah, something around there, like 2 250 some, something around there for sure. It's definitely not more. But yeah, so I'm looking at it right now. The Nest Hub second generation is $130. The Nest Hub Max is $300. And the Nest Hub Max is 10 inches. So it, that would be the most comparable thing to this. So it's about a $400 difference in terms of how much you're paying. Mm. But in the US, just keep the pricing consistent. The Nest Hub is around 100 bucks. In some places, it's a little bit more. Like it could be around 130 but it seems like pretty consistently $99 for the seven inch version and the stand that google is selling separately for the pixel tablet if you want to get like an additional stand the first one comes with the product is about 130 dollars. so that actually to me seems like the bigger like i don't know if this is worth the money but the tablet feels like great value because you're getting this two-in-one normally with a two-in-one you have this really weird dichotomy where it's like if it's an excellent tablet then it's not good at the other thing but google actually kind of made them both i would say on par with each other. So the tablet is a pretty mid-range device. The display is 60 Hertz. It's pretty bright and colorful. It's not the highest of resolutions, but it looks sharp from like a normal viewing distance away. The build quality is this really unique coating where I actually am not a huge fan of the coating because it doesn't feel super premium and metal, even though it actually is. Because of the coating, it feels a little bit plasticky to me, but it's light, which is really nice. So it's very portable. You can put it in your bag. And then the battery life is pretty good. The standby, I have not found to be incredible. Like overnight, it does lose a decent percentage. But what's cool about the hub is that when you put the tablet display on it, it actually starts charging up the device. Okay, so I have two questions for you. So for one, what is the performance like from the G2? Because I know this G2 was actually designed initially, the architecture at least, was meant for a, like a mobile platform. And like, I understand that Android is still a mobile platform, but now that it's being utilized in the Pixel tablet, how do you feel like it compares to that of like the Pixel 7 in terms of like performance as a whole? Because I feel like that's probably going to be the biggest jump in terms of, I guess, delays or issues when it comes to the tablet. Yeah, I think that the performance is pretty good for normal tasks. Like, It's not like I'm using this tablet to do intensive video editing or Photoshop work like you may use an iPad Pro for. That's a completely different market, obviously, so maybe bad comparison on my part. But this is more like I foresee it as a multimedia device. So like watching YouTube videos, watching a course maybe that you're taking, reading a book scrolling on social media, I think that that is more like in its wheelhouse. And then if you wanted something more, you would probably get a different tablet. Um, I also think that Android is kind of limiting because not every app is optimized for Android. So there are a lot of apps that just feel like smartphone apps, but blown up, which I guess kind of relates to the chip. The fact that the chip was initially for that. I actually, Darsh, for you have a question. Like, do you think that there's just a market for Android tablets? Or even if like there was an incredible Android tablet, do you think people would still buy it? So I think it's very much based on what ecosystem you're invested in. And that kind of comes down to a lot of comparisons between Android and iOS or versus like Mac versus Windows. Like if you are a solid iPhone, iPad user, buying a Mac makes the most sense. But then if you are an Android user, buying a Windows computer would make a little bit more sense for you because you're probably more into the customization of it and the ability to spec out things as you'd like. But then also some Android users are Mac users, but they tend not to be. So it's a really strange kind of apples to oranges comparison in terms of preference because people do kind of have different sets of utility from each. But for an example, my girlfriend is an avid Apple user. She uses an Apple, uh, she uses like an iPhone every single day. She's big on the iPhone. She refuses to use an Android phone. But for the longest time, she's only ever used a Windows computer, which I found to be a bit strange. And then recently she got a Mac and it changed her entire perception of what a Mac was actually capable of. Mm. And so when it comes to like comparisons between 
Pixel and like an iPad or an Android device and an iPhone, it's very much based on the buyer's perception of the product and how they all kind of work together. There is utility for a Pixel device, like a Pixel tablet, but I think it's a very niche market of individuals who have to have a combination of both like an Android device and not a Mac. Because if you have an Android device and a Mac, you're probably going to end up wanting to get an iPad because they work better together. If you don't have a Mac and you have a Windows computer, it might be easier to get a tablet like the Pixel, especially if you're more, more of a ecosystem person. But that's a little bit of my own tangent on it. When it comes to the general, just should there be Android tablets? Yeah, sure. There should be Android tablets. I think that they definitely do have a spot in the market, but it's a very niche spot. And that's, I feel like what I was trying to get at with this entire yes, sorry, long-winded rant. <laughs> Fully agree. Is, yeah. I do agree, but I think that there is this unique like niche market of like, if you want the center of a smart home, but then you also want a multimedia device because this tablet can also be used as a tablet, right? For a multimedia and it has multiple user logins. So I can foresee this being like in a family home and in the house you have like multiple kids that sign on. And so it's in the kitchen as like the hub, you want a quick recipe, you want to know the weather, et cetera. But then you can just undock it and use it for like your eight-year-old can start watching YouTube and then they can hand it to their sister who's using it to like draw. So I do think that there is kind of this utility where it becomes the center of the home, but then also on the go multimedia device. I actually absolutely agree with that. So that's kind of another part of this too. So there's, there is a very niche market for a Pixel tablet or like for a Android tablet as a whole. Even the Samsung devices fall into this category. But what makes the Google Pixel tablet unique, at least to me, is its capabilities as a smart home hub. As someone who uses the Nest Hub Hub on a daily basis, it's literally my main control center for all of my smart tech in the house. This is something to me that is really appealing because the way I see it, it's like this. I would get this and I would get two docks. I'd get one on my desk, my work desk, and I'd have one on my nightstand. I take this with me in the morning downstairs to my desk, to my work desk, and I'd be able to put my tablet on there. Not only would it be good for me to take my Google meet meetings on there, anything that's just between like me and like someone in my team or someone in, in the company that I just need to have a chat with, be easier to take calls on there and have three screens in front of me just dedicated to doing my work. But then on top of that, I could use it as um, an interface for my smart home devices that are in my office or use it for a calendar or just use it to set meetings or use it for any number of things, even setting tasks throughout the day if I was just using like Evernote. I feel like this has extreme utility if you have a smart home ecosystem to support it. Well, you're kind of a smart home guy. Would you would you switch from your Nest Hub to this? See, but that's where the pricing kind of all comes back in together with this. Mm. So I think the, the overall gist that I get from the Google Pixel tablet, and this might just be mine, I haven't actually gotten a chance to play with it. It's a decent tablet that does decent that does a decent amount of things. It, it offers a decent amount of utility to the average consumer. But if you are someone who's heavily invested in the Google smart ecosystem, and I have to preface Google smart ecosystem because Apple has just implemented this new feature on your iPhone where if you put it on a dock, it will become a smart home interface for you. So you've come to this point where you can go either either way when it comes to those smart home hubs, because if, if they're bringing it to iPhone, they're going to bring it to iPad. And then there's going to be a ton of cases that are going to be able to, cases or chargers that are going to be able to set up your iPad and make it a full home hub. And at that point, I would probably look to switching over to iOS because it fits in better with my ecosystem at home with all of my iOS devices. But as someone who's big on Google and using the Google Home Hub right now, this is something that I would genuinely consider if the price wasn't $700 for me. And then to spend another $130 on an extra one, I'm almost spending $1,000, which I could spend on possibly even the new MacBook Air or a new iPad, like an iPad Pro. You're saying Canadian. Canadian, yes. Canadian pricing wise, for me, this is like spending this much on a tablet doesn't make much sense because for a couple hundred bucks extra, I could get a full new computer, which is something for me that's of higher priority. But also it makes it harder for me to recommend it because 
if someone I know around me is big into smart homes, it'd be harder for me to recommend it because the actual utility of what it does when it's docked is effectively the same of that of the Nest Hub Max, which is just 300 bucks Canadian, where I think it'd be about 220, $250 US. So with that kind of comparison, that's where I get lost. That's so interesting because I do think that there is a very clear user for it, but I think that the market niche is probably pretty small, but it makes sense for them to do it because it kind of fills out their lineup. And so I actually love it. Like I am a big fan of the product. And I think that when I think about just families, that to me is a huge niche because I know that a lot of kids have the tablet. And then it's also so nice just to have a center hub in the kitchen and the multi-device user sign-in. Like it's just great, I think, for that particular use. I fully agree with you there. I Do not get me wrong. I think that this tablet could be very, very well positioned to be targeted towards families, especially like I look at my family too. Like we have a bunch of Amazon Alexas everywhere around the house, but that's because we have a ring doorbell. And the only way to use a ring doorbell is to connect it to Alexa systems. So if we had a Nest, for example, I would probably recommend getting one of these for our like kitchen because it would make the most sense. It's something my mom can just use to watch TV while she's cooking in the, in, in the evenings or on the weekends. Because I know that she puts her she props her iPad up for that. She could easily do that on the Google, on the Google Pixel tablet. But then also it'd be easy access to the doorbell. It'd be easy access to control any of the smart devices we have around the house. Like those kinds of things and those kinds of utilities, I definitely see. But as you were saying, it is a very niche market. So it'd be very interesting to see as this product rolls out, who ends up buying it. And I kind of throw this to the digital dive listeners now. What do you guys think of the Pixel tablet? And would you guys end up spending the money to pick up one of these for your own homes? But speaking of niche categories, I want to talk a little bit about self-driving. So Jacqueline, self-driving cars or self-driving vehicles, I guess, as a whole. So you sent me this video and I was immediately intrigued. I love the idea of self-driving cars, but I want to hear if you can give us a kind of a breakdown of your thoughts on this video and the things that she touched on that you thought were really important and you want to talk about today. Yeah. I first of all want to say that I think Cleo Abrams is one of my new absolute favorite creators. That was an incredible video. I will say like it had two storylines going concurrently, one talking about self-driving cars and self-driving vehicles and how they work in society. But then the other one where she was actually going to interview the CEO of, of Cruise. So that was a really cool way to kind of mix everything together and keep you engaged. I'm like, so such a fan of her. And I think like, as I've been thinking about what I want to do with MBT next, I think that Product reviews are always going to be a big part of it, but I want to expand into also covering broader tech topics. I think there's like a unique opportunity to do that with like this relatable day in life, casual hangout with me style. We'll see. I'm experimenting with it. It will either go really well or really not well. But I think that this video was so inspiring to me because it's kind of like that. So that's a random side note. If you watch MBT videos and you listen to this podcast, please let me know if you are a fan of that idea. But let's hop into this because I think that the two ideas that she basically lays out is the first idea that everyone knows, which would be normal car, but instead of person driving it, it's driving itself and it would be used for like Uber or we would own it. And then the second way that she illustrates self-driving tech being used is like for vehicles, like a giant truck and to transport goods. So commercial use that wouldn't actually affect the day-to-day person and like, a, wow, their car experience is different, but it would instead just optimize like getting goods around the world. I think it's a really, really cool premise and I definitely do see it being implemented. So one of the things that she touched on was that there's like five stages to self-driving cars right now. There was like the initial stage, which is like cruise control. Then we have the final stage, the fifth stage, which is like full autonomy. And now in between, we have all these different things, whether that's like lane keep assist or that's uh, highway automated driving or just general um, like adaptive cruise control matching the speed of the car in front of you. So there's all these different levels to it. And we're sitting at like level two right now where it's like lane keep assist, adaptive highway cruise control. Like some cars even have actual highway driving like autonomous, but it's still you have to maintain your vision on like the sensors and on the wheels and what's going on around you. So what she ends up illustrating in this entire video was that we have 
companies like Cruise that are coming out with pretty much fully autonomous taxis to come pick you up. And the first and foremost demonstration of this was actually done by the CEO where he called the cab to come pick him up, sat in the back seat, and it drove him to his destination. And now we're looking into a world where this is going to become a very real reality. But I have one concern. And this is like maybe something that's a little sci-fi-y, so, so bear with me here. Jacqueline, have you ever seen the show Upload? Uh, no. What's the show Upload? So it's a show on Amazon. I, I recently watched it like a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a couple of months now at this point. But it starts off with this guy. He sets, he sets foot into a self-driving car and it like loses control and it drives into another car and the guy passes away. Upload is based on this premise of like uploading your subconscious mm. to the internet where you'll be able to live forever and then in the afterlife almost like a virtual commercialized afterlife and then your fan, friends and family can upload to the same one but for a cost and then you stay there for the rest of time and then they're like looking to, for ways to redownload you back into a clone or into a body or something like that so the beginning of this of this tv show though where i'm actually more focused on is they had fully self-driving fully autonomous cars and he had proven at the beginning of it, like he plugged in a, like a game controller into the interface, into the console so that he could drive the car himself. And then the next scene cuts to him pretty much banging into the back of another car and passing away. So this is what I immediately thought of when I saw these self-driving taxis. But it is, there is a lot of regulation and there is a lot of slow moving parts that will be added into this kind of industry as it progresses. But it's a really cool technology as a whole because we're seeing something that was so sci-fi and so out of the realm of possibility 10 years ago being implemented now in 2023, which is kind of dope. Do you think that there is this reason why we haven't seen like the cars for everyone that are self-driving? Like in the video, she shows one that is... He basically, Kyle, who's the founder of his company, calls a car, he gets in it and it works. But then moments later in the video, she shows that the car gets pulled over by a police officer and it doesn't really know how to react. And so I think that there are just a lot more logistical issues to figure out with individual self-driving cars versus the commercial self-driving vehicles. And so also she kind of lays out that you either have to hyper-localize, so like get fully autonomous, but in only a only very specific area or get like semi-autonomous, but for a much larger area. Which one do you think is more likely to happen? I think, so it depends on the market. So if you're doing a like fully autonomous for like a small fixated area, that's probably going to be like taxis, right? Like the same way, have you seen like those Lime scooters or like the the like the electric scooter pop-ups around the city? Like you can scan them and just take them to go ride around anywhere. Do they do that in New York? I actually don't know if they do it in New York, but I've seen it in San Francisco. Okay, cool. So they do it in Toronto and they did it in uh, where my, my university was in Waterloo. And I remember playing with that and that was like very hyper-localized to specific areas. And that's where you could use them. It was like kind of like a pilot program. And I could see that being implemented here with Cruise. But if you wanted to go into like semi-autonomous, that's going to be on a broader scale for like for cars that you can buy. So if you're going to go buy a car, you're probably going to be able to find more something semi-autonomous, which is already existing. That's pretty much Tesla, right? Especially in a lot of areas where full autonomy isn't permitted or allowed. It is semi-autonomous. You can have like highway assist and all those other things or like lane uh, like adaptive lane switching for you, stuff like that. But it will never be, it won't be fully autonomous for a while until we have regulation catch up with it. But if they do hyper-localized areas with something like Cruise, then they're able to kind of work with local police departments to figure out the best way to implement it. They can kind of test out all the bugs and the kinks in terms of the software and the logistical nightmare that is associating with government regulations and like public driving policies. So it'd be very interesting to see how it all plays out in that respect. But I think what the most interesting part of this entire video was the commercialized aspect of self-driving vehicles. I agree, because I think it's the one that people don't really know about. Like the fact that there are trucks on the road right now that are mostly self-driving is wild. Yeah, and that's pretty sick. And I mean, it, for one, I, I'm a little scared by it just because I get scared. 
driving next to a semi truck in the first place. Same. Oh my um, god. Yeah. Same. Because because if you're driving a car, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're in a big car or a small car, like if you're in their blind spot, you're in their blind spot. Well, I remember Marquez got hit by a truck for exactly that reason, and this was right around the time that I was getting my license, and it kind of scarred me of like being forever afraid now of driving in their blind spot. To be fair, even my buddy actually got hit by a semi truck dead on like really collision. Yeah, he and driver's side too. He he walked out without a scratch. It was probably one of the biggest miracles I've ever heard. He was driving like a tiny car in the in the snow. It, given it wasn't the semi's fault, neither was it his. He just like like it was just it was a snowstorm. And he spun out and he got hit. He came out without a scratch, thankfully. And like I'm I'm really glad that nothing happened, which is why I'm telling the story yeah. in these ways. Yeah, imagine like you tell a story and it's completely like terrible ending. God forbid, like <laughs> you're like casual. No, no, no. Like this, like he he literally was absolutely fine, which is amazing to hear. And honestly, yo, big shout out to Toyota because like his car kept him safe. But that aside, semi trucks are a very scary, scary member of the road, at least in more populated areas. One of the cool things about this is that these are being implemented into like more rural areas where these there's these long stretches of highway where they're like they're going like 90 kilometers, I guess almost like 100, say 60 miles per hour. And they're driving and they're just kind of following the straight road. And they're kind of going from one destination to another. So say, for example, I'm a, I'm a driver in a semi and they're trying to implement this. The driver's probably still in the truck, but he's probably taking a nap while the car or like the truck starts going towards a bigger city. Then when it gets into the bigger city, they start driving. At least that's what I'd hope. But this is really cool because it's able to provide like actual 24-hour service for transportation. And that's something that we've never actually really had before because there's no human error there. There's no one stopping for P brakes. There's no one stopping for X, Y, Z. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. So definitely interesting. I think that the way this plays out will be kind of fascinating to follow. And one of the things that I like about Cleo is the fact that she's always covering these big topics. So I'm sure this will not be the last we hear about it. She's actually going to be my first stuff that I like this week, which is a section of the podcast where Darsh and I, I'm sure everyone that's been listening for a while is like, we know what this is. But it's a section of the podcast where Darsh and I talk about different things that we like. And so that is going to be my first one. That's great transition. My first one's actually a movie I saw last night, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Ooh, I want to see it so badly. For one, I got to say, Metro Boomin really killed it with that album that came out with the movie. There were a couple of really good songs in there that I was really happy to hear. But on top of that, just like the creative direction that movie went was one, incredible. The amount of references they made to every other Spider-Man, incredible. And then for number three, just like the, the genuine artwork in that movie was incredible. I loved every single aspect of it and I would definitely go watch it again. I am going to have to see it and also going to the movies is one of my all-time favorite things. My second one is actually movie thing. Mission Impossible, the next one is coming out. It is my favorite movie franchise of all time and they're starting to hype it up and I, I actually saw one of my friends saw, went to the premiere and saw it and loved it. That is awesome. I, I, I need to go I need to go see it. I watched the first couple and like I watched pretty much all of them at this point but like I only really remember the last like three or four but this is like the end of the series right the end of the the overall is it no i think there is more oh really i thought this i thought it's this and then one more this is part one oh my god well that would be like devastating if it's for sure over i didn't know that i think tom cruise can't do his stunts anymore he doesn't want to let the movies go on if he can't do his stunts i did not know that well i don't know if that's the actual reason but that's what i assume like he's getting up there in age i don't know if it's really safe for him to be doing all these stunts that is so tragic that is like it is <laughs> devastating news. Okay, wait, hype me up now. What's what's another thing that you liked? Honestly, the other thing that I was going to say that I liked this week was actually MKBHD's video on the Google Pixel tablet. Yeah. Um, immediately when it came out, I went and watched it because I wanted to know if this was actually worth the money to go invest in. And I actually really enjoyed his video. His videos have honestly become something really incredible. And actually, big shout out Miles. Like we started making YouTube videos around the same time he did. He's working cameras for MKBHD, but also has his own channel covering cars. 
And I was looking, like I was looking at some of, I saw some of his like YouTube shorts the other day and it just honestly blew, blown me away. I guess that's my third one. Uh, if you really want to go yeah. that far, but no, I uh, love yeah. miles and yeah, Marquez is just like as good as they get. Like every video he makes is just so consistently great. It's not surprising to me that he is like the go-to first vid. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But for me, that's, that's pretty much it for me. Love it. All right. Well, we'll be back next Monday, 7am central, no 6am central, 7am Eastern. Thank you so much for giving us your time listening. Darsh and I truly know that it's such a privilege to have you here. So thank you so much. If you made it to this point in the episode and you want to let us know, you can either leave a rating with the word deep or tweet us on Twitter. Absolutely. And also huge shout out as always to Adil Constantine for the amazing intro and outro music you're about to hear. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next week, 6 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Eastern. Bye. Peace.